The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Here we find ourselves at the crossroads Sunday between Christmas and New Year's to close out 2019. I suppose for most of us, the tree and the decorations are still up. Parties and get-togethers are still on the schedule for the coming week. The many returns to the stores are not yet complete. We have a few more days to finish up business in 2019 and make our plans for a new year. The waiting for Christmas has passed, and our lists are already crowded with new plans. We continue in this series in Luke this morning to learn from two aged saints who teach us something about God's timing, about waiting, expectations and longings that can only be fulfilled in Christ, the Son of God. Please follow as I read from Luke 2, beginning in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him of whom all were waiting for the redemption of Israel. (coughs) And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, once again, I would ask the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I enjoy Christmas music. I do think it's a mercy to come to this point in the season when radio stations and the stores return things to normal. One song that stood out to me this year was the classic, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. This traditional song highlights the sights, sounds, and smells of the season, emphasis upon the generosity and the spirit of goodwill from many. But a thoughtful listening of this classic song makes one wonder, have we made this the most stressful time of the year? Or perhaps the most expensive time of the year? My wife thinks that this is the only time of the year that I shop, at least for her, with her. For those going through sorrow and hardship, it can be the most disappointing or the most depressing time of year. Certainly that can be the case for those who are without Christ, but even his followers who neglect to abide in him. We all have expectations for the season. As we enter into a new year, we have longings that cannot be filled by marshmallows roasting or gay happy greetings when friends come to call. We have longings that cannot be satisfied by just the right gift, the holiday bonus, or even happy reunions from far off arrived loved ones. In Luke 2, we are introduced to two senior saints found nowhere else in the scriptures who are privileged to see the Christ child before they depart from this earth. Both Simeon and Anna are pious and devout, know something of waiting, of living with expectations for the Lord's promises to be fulfilled. With them we identify our own longings of the heart, a longing for righteousness, rest, And redemption. Our passage opens with the theme of righteousness in verse 21, where Joseph and Mary faithfully have their son circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. Circumcision was the external sign of God's covenant to his people, first promised to Abraham and to be applied to all the sons of Israel. The parents of our Lord were faithful to obey the instructions of the angels received on two separate encounters to name their son Jesus, derived from the Hebrew Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Verses 22 to 24 go on to demonstrate two ways in which Joseph and Mary were faithful to follow the law of Moses. In the first case, they present Jesus to the temple as their firstborn son, Every firstborn son of Israel belonged to the Lord, 
It must be dedicated to the Lord's service. Think of Hannah bringing Samuel an answer to prayer and honoring her vow to offer him up for service in the tabernacle. The tribe of Levi was designated by the Lord to take the place of all the firstborn sons of Israel to lead the nation in worship, to make sacrifice, to teach the people God's law. And every firstborn son had to be redeemed at the price of five shekels of silver, not a heavy amount of perhaps 30 to 40 dollars in our own currency today. In the second case, Mary had to be purified from childbirth, 40 days to be exact, which required the sacrifice of a lamb, or if the family was poor, two birds, turtle doves or pigeons, which are indicated here, showing us that Joseph and Mary were of humble means. And yet this young couple was faithful to keep the law, to set their son on the pathway of righteousness. Jesus' presentation of the temple was met with a divine appointment as the Lord leads Simeon, this righteous and devout man, to meet them in the court of women outside the temple. We do not know Simeon's occupation, whether he was a teacher of the law, but he is a kind of prophet as the Holy Spirit speaks to him and reveals to him that he would not depart from the earth until he had met the Lord's Christ. Simeon, was righteous in the sight of man by his obedience to the law. But he also was righteous in God's sight by his faith, as a man waiting for the consolation of Israel, the hope of the coming Messiah. Simeon demonstrates this principle found throughout the scriptures, that we are declared righteous before God by faith not by mere works of the law. The truly righteous have demons to have longings of the heart that look to God in faith to trust him who will make all things right, who will make us right in a world gone so tragically wrong. I suppose just about every Christmas movie of any redemptive value has this part of its plot of something going badly wrong before it's made right again. Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, Rudolph, even The Grinch all carry this well-worn theme. We can identify with it. We so badly want Christmas to go right. The lights and the stockings hung with care, the meal and the, the roast cooked to perfection. Our friends and family arriving safely and on time. The children behaving. A proposal accepted. But something always seems to go wrong. Like on Christmas morning when my six-year-old opened a box of sneakers to find two left shoes inside. (laughs) Whoops. Mr. Claus forgot to check the box. Thankfully, the Nike store made it right on Friday. Something always goes wrong. No matter how much we desire things to be right, for the house to be clean, the bills to be paid, the illnesses to pass, for everyone to simply get along. The righteous 
and the devout of Israel longed to be right with God. And the truly righteous knew that they needed more than their best efforts to keep the law. The sacrifices of innocent animals was a recurring reminder of imperfection, of inadequacy, of the need to be right with a holy God. The faithful sacrifices performed year after year deepened Israel's longing for that one final perfect sacrifice to make us perfect and forever righteous before the Lord our God. The presentation of Jesus at the temple by his faith-filled parents was a righteous act that launched the Son of God on a 30-year journey of obedience to satisfy the righteous requirements of his Father's law and to eventually bear the penalty for our unrighteousness so that a holy God might be reconciled to wayward sons and daughters, mere prodigals who have been brought home, brought near to stand before God in the alien righteousness of the Son of God. We long for righteousness. We also long for rest. Simeon introduces himself to Joseph and Mary, explains who he is and why he's there. They trust him to take up the baby Jesus in his arms where he proceeds to bless God and bless this holy family. Simeon praises God because now he can depart in peace having seen the Lord's salvation, the long-awaited promised Messiah. Simeon's desire for peace resonates with the Hebrew notion of shalom, the desire of Israel for restoration, of rest from their enemies, for deliverance from all evil. At this time in the greater Mediterranean world, the people experienced a kind of peace called the Pax Romana, established by Caesar Augustus with the putting down of rebellions all throughout the region. But for Israel, there would be no peace as long as there was still an occupying force of pagan influence. Israel looked for a Messiah who would rule them with peace and establish prosperity as in the days of Solomon's reign. But I believe that as Simeon held the Christ child in his arms, he understood that this was more than a mere Davidic king. This was a king for all the peoples, a light For the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. And Simeon understood that peace only comes through turbulence. As Joseph and Mary marvel at the bold words of Simeon, Simeon proceeds to bless them with very hard words. This sweet, sleeping child would be the appointment of the fall and the rising of many in Israel and a sign that is opposed not a very welcoming message to two young first-time parents. Jesus would be a stumbling block. The stone the builders rejected, which became the cornerstone, as people opposed his life, his message, and ministry. Jesus would also also provide the rising of the humble, those who believed his signs and accepted his gospel message of the kingdom. Simeon then proceeds to 
speak prophetically to Mary who would live on to witness the public rejection of her son, his unjust and inhumane treatment by Israel's leaders, whipped and scourged by Roman soldiers, pinned to a cross, the sign and symbol of torture and grave humiliation. Yes, Mary's soul would be pierced as with a sword. The cross is the great dividing line that reveals the hearts of every man, woman, and child. The cross, a sign of shame, leads those who scorn it to their fall. But those who embrace it by faith will rise on eagles' wings into a life of eternal rest. How does a surgeon bring peace to a body that is afflicted with a tumor? He has to cut it open, spill blood in order to make a pathway for healing. How does a therapist help a trauma victim, but only by going into deep and painful, terrible memories? The professional must make us feel worse before we can feel better. Such is the way of the gospel. Jesus would say in Matthew 10, 34, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And of course, Jesus is not speaking of physical violence. Christianity does not expand by forced conversion, but by the power of truth. It is a truth that cuts, a truth that divides. Allegiance to Jesus brings conflict as other secondary loyalties must take a back seat. The early Christians were called intolerant, deemed a threat to the social order because they refused to sacrifice to the pagan gods. Believers today are called intolerant, a threat to society because we refuse to embrace the new order of things and new morality. In any age, To live like Jesus oftentimes means there's no room for us in the end. Christians in Nigeria know something of turbulence. They suffer the onslaught of a shepherding tribe of Muslims called Fulani that massacre and demolish their villages and take over their grazing lands. Believers in East Asia suffer the closure of their churches the imprisonment of their pastors, having their schools shut down, threatening parents to send their children to government schools lest they lose custody of their children. Most of our trials seem petty by comparison, but the Lord knows them all. Most of us just simply want to get through the holidays, keep our heads above water and not lose our minds. We want rest. We want peace in our hearts, in our homes, and even peace on earth. But when we submitted to Jesus Christ, we embraced both peace and turbulence. We have peace with God, assurance of our salvation, and yet with it comes a struggle between our flesh, which is at war with the Spirit. The Christian always experiences both new peace and new conflict. God's peace only comes after an inner conflict of repentance. 
And repentance is like an antiseptic that both stings and heals. We enter God's kingdom through restlessness, through turbulence, through crisis. The gospel turns our worlds upside down. It forces us to reevaluate everything we believe about God, about what is good, whether there is hope in this life and life to come. We long for rest. Our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest. Yes, it's wise to take time for yourself and your family, to use your vacation time to not overpack your schedule with too many things. But we must remember that we will have no true rest in this life. It's like we're trying to sleep on an airplane going through turbulence that we have to endure until we arrive at our destination. The state buckled to the cross of Jesus and hold fast to his precious promises. We must suffer restlessness, the restlessness of unfulfilled dreams, people's broken promises, unmet expectations, the setbacks of many kinds. We look to him who endured restlessness on our behalf an all-night trial, whips and scourging by Roman soldiers, but then the internal restlessness that you and I deserved when he bore his Father's wrath on the cross for our sins, that we might be received into the fellowship of God to enjoy true eternal rest. Simeon's longing for redemption is spelled out in verses 30 through 32. As he expresses with great joy that his eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. As Simeon could not have fully comprehended that he held in his arms the Godhead in the flesh. But he did grasp that God was now fulfilling his promise to redeem the nations. That this was the king for all peoples, the light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel to whom was privileged to bear the revelation of God and to bring God's Redeemer to a lost world. It had been nearly a thousand years since David sat on his throne. Almost 2,000 years since Father Abraham had entered the land of Canaan. Israel had a long history of expectation with references to the initial seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent, bruising his heel in the process a suffering servant who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, who would bear the punishment that brought us peace. Simeon is joined by another senior saint who is also privileged to lay her eyes upon Jesus before her pilgrimage on earth was over. Prophets were rare in those days, and even more rare were prophetesses, but that is what Anna was, a senior saint of perhaps 105 years old, having been married the likely age of 13, which was common in those days, having lived with her husband for seven years, and I think the best reading of the text would indicate that she was widowed for some 84 years after his departure. This Anna dwelt night and day in the women's court, consumed with worship and fasting and praying, 
And so she arrives at the hour of Jesus' presentation in the temple and responds with thanksgiving to God and speaks of this Christ child to all who are waiting the redemption of Israel. Here was a woman who had suffered much loss, but yet who lived faithfully trusting and hoping in God's Messiah. Did she have children? Did she outlive her children? We don't know. But we do know that 84 years is a long time to live as a widow. Paul will write to Timothy, commending those widows who trust the Lord, who teach the other women to love their husbands and children well. Anna's situation makes me think of people in our church, some who have been blessed with long life, who sometimes express a desire to go home to be with the Lord, questioning, why am I still here? Why doesn't the Lord just take me? Well, we can't answer such questions. But we can find encouragement and from Anna's example that is instructive to us. I believe that Anna demonstrates a kind of life of faithfulness that challenges us not to feel sorry for ourselves, to not pine away wondering why the kids don't visit more or why people don't pay more attention to us. Anna chose to fill the void in her life with worship, prayer, fellowship, and service. She reminds us that there is much kingdom work to be done, and God is faithful. She makes me think of several widows and widowers in our church who embody the Anna spirit. In fact, we just hired one recently who will serve as our new children's ministry assistant this coming week. We serve a God of comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. We worship a God who promises to restore what the, year, the years the locusts have eaten. Yes, many suffer the loss of loved ones, parents, siblings, spouses, their own children. God's people suffer the loss of health, economic, financial security, friendships, the soundness of our minds as we age and go through various difficulties. But God is the great restorer, the balancer who restores all things when things grow out of whack. And we're encouraged that our Redeemer is strong. The closing verses tell us that Jesus' parents were faithful to fulfill what was required of the law. They set their son on a course of faithfulness throughout his life. No mention is given by Luke of their flight to Egypt or the visit from the Magi, for that matter, which are both recorded in Matthew's Gospel. One commentator helpfully points out that Matthew and Mark both show Jesus going outside of Israel on a few occasions, but in Luke's Gospel, Jesus focuses on the ministry inside of Israel's boundaries. But of course, in the book of Acts, we see the gospel ministry going far beyond Israel to the ends of the earth. I like to think that Joseph enjoyed a few years away from Nazareth before returning to give time for the rumor mongers to grow silent 
to perhaps add more children to his family, to return home to Nazareth in peace and quiet respectability. Our final verse says that Jesus grew strong. He was filled with wisdom from his parents' teaching and perhaps attending the synagogue schools that he enjoyed God's favor as he grew up and would eventually begin his itinerant preaching and healing ministry. This short account of his upbringing reminds us of the value of the Christian home that train up our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. There's a simple beauty to this brief description. Without fanfare, no razzle-dazzle, this Messiah from the small town of nowhere, Nazareth, an ignored and overlooked place in the backwoods of the Roman Empire. He grew up away from the hustle and bustle of life, from the centers of commerce, education, and entertainment. And it challenges us to reset our expectations about what is important and to be weary of the world and its luring trappings that only breeds more discontent and fails to satisfy. The Christ child is not for those who are content with this life who are satisfied with the status quo. Rather, it's for those with deep longings that the world cannot provide. Those who long for righteousness that lies far beyond what our best works can muster. Who long for rest that no sleep or drug can provide. Who long for redemption from our body in a world deeply broken by sin. Christ is for you. Embrace him this new year, the one who truly gives us a bright and merry future. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we're so grateful for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who came to earth who walked with us, who walked among us, who showed us your way, who lived the life we couldn't live, who died to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay, who reigns even now interceding for us. I pray that you would lead us into a new year, that we may walk with you, that we may know you and make you known with great joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.